we had this idea. We're like, what if we find a hill that we could put a ramp on and we could, you know, jump off of that? And so there was in our backyard a hill about three feet tall, and then we put, you know, another ramp on there about two feet tall. And there was a, a driveway that led to this ramp, and so we would go to the top. We'd pedal as fast as we can, gaining a lot of momentum, and we would just ramp off this hill. It's amazing. And it was not very smart, but it was a ton of fun. I'm not kidding when I say that as like 11 and 10-year-olds, we were getting close to seven and eight feet of air. And it's probably a good thing my mom didn't know what we were doing, but we were just jumping. It was so, so fun. Well, if you have ever had an experience like this, you know kind of how brains work for 10, 11-year-olds. At some point, that gets boring. And so we found, well, if we can keep like putting bricks under the ramp, we can go higher and higher. It's kind of like a dare, you know, and then it's more fun. And so we started doing this. We would like raise the, the ramp higher and higher and higher until people started getting scared. They were like kind of dropping out. They're like, I'm not doing it. And I remember at one point saying, hey, guys, I'm kind of getting bored. I think I'm going to be done for a while. Translation, I'm scared out of my mind and I might pee myself if I do this again, right? Like I was so nervous. It was like very, very freaky. And so we, like, kept doing that, but, but you know how it is, like, when you're 11 years old, uh, peer pressure is kind of like a big deal, and so, you know, they said, like, do it, do it, do it, and I was like, nah, and like, do it, and I was like, okay, you know, and so I took my bike and started riding up the hill and, you know, kind of walked up, strapped on my helmet, and I started pedaling as fast as I could towards this ramp. Well, what I didn't know is while I was doing that, they were sticking more bricks under the ramp without me looking. And so I get to the top, I ride down as fast as I can, I hit the ramp, the handlebars kind of come up and, and hit me in the face, and that's all I remember. I was later filled in on the remaining details and found that my unconscious body flew through the air, did a half flip, and landed right on my head. Right, <laughs> yeah, amazing. So it worked out all right. The good news is I had no broken bones, the bad news is, like, 11-year-olds don't know concussion protocol, you know? So we just, like, didn't tell my parents, and they're like, how are you feeling? Like, pounding headache. It's fine. No big deal. I feel great. Why do I tell you that? The reason is because I bet if we went around this room, just even looking on your faces, I bet every single one of us would be able to share incredible stories, memories, and moments that we experienced during the summer. Memories that are dear to us, memories that we cherish and retell for years. And it's likely that if we were to do that, all of the stories would be very, very different with the exception of one thing. One thing would be similar about almost all of those stories. And it's the fact that it's somewhere along the line that story involves your friends, right? For me, it was my friends, you know, put, putting the bricks under the, the ramp. For you, it would be something different. But Friends are the ones that you talk with late at night. They're the people that you road trip with and play games with and watch movies with. They're the ones that ask you how you're doing and really want to hear the answer. Friends are the first people that you text when life is going great, and they're the first people to show up when life is going terrible. Friendship is one of the most influential things in your life. Someone once said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that's because friends that you and I surround ourselves with have a significant impact on the direction you take and the choices that you make in life. So the way Proverbs says it in Proverbs 13, 20 is this, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. 
And throughout the entire book of Proverbs, this theme of friendship shows up over and over because King Solomon knew that you become like the people that you spend the most time with. And so if you and I want to live a life of wisdom, one of the most important things that we can do is surround ourselves with good friends. One of the most important things we can do is surround ourselves with good friends. And so whether you're here this morning and you're blessed with amazing friends or you long for deeper friendship, all of us were made for friendship. It's a God-given desire, hardwired into the way that we are made. And so if that's true, then the question we want to spend the remainder of our time asking is this, what are the marks of a good friend? Like, what does it look like to be a good friend, and what kind of things should I be looking for in a good friend? And there's four marks of a good friend that I want to look at with you today from the book of Proverbs. And so the first one is this, that a good friend is faithful. They're faithful. In other words, they're there for you in the good times and the bad. The unfortunate reality, however, is that fair-weather friends are, are kind of abundant. Have you ever noticed that? Like, fair-weather friends, they kind of come and go. Look at Proverbs 14, 20. Proverbs 14, 20. Proverbs 14, 20. It says this. A poor person is hated even by his neighbor, but there are many who love the rich. Flip over to Proverbs 19, verse 4. Proverbs 19, 4. It says this, wealth attracts many friends, but a poor person is separated from his friends. Pastor Tim Keller says this, that this shows the painful truth that most relationships are transactional. And so if a mark of a good friend is that they're faithful, but most friendships are fair weather, that's like kind of not awesome, right? So have you ever experienced the reality of that in your life? Maybe at work you got a promotion and then all of a sudden people were laughing at your jokes and wanted to kind of be your friend. Maybe you've had seasons of prosperity in your life and found that it was really easy to make friends. Or maybe you've experienced the, the dark side of this reality and realized that when you were going through your lowest point and needed people in life the most, it was actually the hardest to find a friend. And the reason that happens is because most relationships aren't actually built on true friendships, right? The people you go to work with and hang out with, like a lot of them aren't close friends. They're just kind of acquaintances. Most people in life are not true friends. One pastor said that, that this means when you shatter, that they scatter, right? That's kind of a fun way to say it. When you shatter, they scatter. And we see it in Proverbs 18, verse 24. So, so look at me there. Proverbs 18, verse 24 It says this, one with many friends may be harmed. In other words, even a person with many friends will have dark days in life. Even a person with many friends will walk through seasons of suffering. Even a person with many friends walk through the valley. But there's a friend who stays closer than a brother. Notice that that word friend is singular, meaning a friend like this is actually really hard to find. They don't come around all the time. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's one of the ways that you know a true friend, right? A friend sticks around when the entire world is falling apart. When everyone else is scattering, they're still around. They don't leave you when you're in trouble. They stick around. And in many ways, that's one of the best ways to tell if you have a true friend. Time and trouble, right? Because a good friend is the one who sticks around even when things are hard. They don't run 
at the first sign of trouble. They're in it for the long haul. A companion says, call me if you need anything, but a friend is just there. They're just around. And so Rachel and I, we have a couple friends that we really uh, are, like, they're dear friends. We think very highly of them. They were actually the ones who walked us through our marriage counseling. So fun fact, uh, Rachel and I, we were married uh, March 28th, 2020. So if you're doing like the mental math, that was like a week after the world just went crazy. Um, So we were married then in we had planned initially to have a wedding of about 300 people, and our wedding actually ended up being 10 people, right? So the world kind of shut down, and we're like, we're getting married anyway, let's go, you know? And with that, there comes, like, different elements of grief, right? You're grieving the people who wouldn't be able to attend. You're grieving experiences that you wouldn't be able to have in the same way. You're grieving unmet expectations, and yet, in all of that, this couple walked with us through a season, They laughed with us, they expressed joy over a beautiful day, and they cried with us over things that didn't work out the way that we'd expected. Three months later, when we, like so many other people, tested positive for COVID and were quarantined for 14 days, they brought us groceries without even asking us. They just did it. They weren't like, hey, what do you want? They're just like, here's groceries. We brought them for you. And again, this summer, as Rachel and I walked through a difficult and tragic season with Cornerstone, they showed up, right? They bought us groceries, they brought us coffee, and they let us sleep on their bed. They ate crumble cookies with us, which shout out to crumble cookie. It's like amazing. It makes life better in nearly every situation. They didn't say much, but they were there, right? We knew that it was because they wanted to, because they were our friends. And we knew that they weren't going anywhere because we have hundreds and hundreds of other examples of when they stuck around. They've seen us at our best, they've seen us at our worst, and throughout all of it, they've remained faithful friends. And so the first characteristic or the first mark of a good friendship is is faithfulness. They're there in the good times and the bad. The second mark of a good friend is, is that they're honest. So they're honest. So not only are good friends faithful, but they're honest. They're honest and willing to say the hard things because they know it's good for you. So look with me at Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, it says this... Better is an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. So Pastor Ben Stewart, he says this, an open, direct, and even severe correction is more beneficial to your life than love that never expresses itself. In other words, if someone loves you but never tells you, it has no impact on your life. But when a friend is willing to correct you, it creates this opportunity for you to grow and to change. So Tim Keller talks about the irony of Proverbs 27. He says there's, there's friendly wounds and there's wounding kisses, right? That's kind of a weird way to think about it. One translation says, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. In other words, if someone only ever tells you what you want to hear, it's possible that they aren't a good friend because a good friend tells you not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. A few weeks ago, I started going to the chiropractor. Shout out to chiropractors, anybody? Okay. So uh, I'm not typically like one to go to the doctor, but my wife is like, hey, so fun fact, your shoulders are like unbalanced. I'm like, oh, that's probably not normal. I should maybe get it checked out, you know? And so I show up at the chiropractor. Long story short, I will spare you all the details, but basically I broke my collarbone. Different incident than the ramping situation. Um, Broke my collarbone as a kid, and then 
it kind of like tweaked the way that like my body works. I don't know. That's basically how it works. And so there were muscles that were very tight and bones that needed to be readjusted. And so I walked in, I was like, hey, can you fix my shoulder? It's kind of like messed up. And he's like, yes, we just need to start by massaging some of these muscles that have been really, really tight for years so that we can actually like move your bones around. That's basically what he said. And so I hear the word massage. I don't know what you think when you hear the word massage, but I was like, oh, it's going to be a great Friday morning. I'm starting off the day with a massage. This is awesome, like amazing. Like copay is even cheaper because it's like technically a needed necessity, you know, that whole thing. So I was like, this is great. Well, the first thing he says to me is this, hey, there's, gonna, there's a good kind of pain and there's a bad kind of pain. Let me know if you hear the bad kind of pain or feel the bad kind of pain. And I'm like, I don't know if my idea of a massage and your idea of a massage are different, but like, what, do you, what are we talking about here? And so he starts massaging underneath my shoulder blade, like, and his, his hand was like up to there, like just like up there under my shoulder blade, and just my eyes are watering and tearing up like it hurts so bad. He's like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine, you know, good, I'll be all right. You know, like just, it hurts so bad. But that was for my good, right? It's like I feel better today because he like massaged under my shoulder blade. Imagine though if I walked into the chiropractor and I said, hey, one shoulder's higher than the other. I'm wondering uh, why that is. Can you help me? And instead of doing the whole massage situation, he just said, you know, actually that's like a genetic trait that says you're a sign of royalty or something. Like, I don't know what excuse there would be for having like a shoulder, but like he's like, just like lies straight to me. He's like, yeah, actually you're good. See you later. Like he wouldn't be a good chiropractor because he wouldn't be telling me what I need to know. And in the same way, if your friends only ever tell you what you want to hear, or if you're the kind of person who only tells people what they want to hear, then you're not really being a good friend because a good friend shares not only what people want to hear, but also what they need to hear. And what's incredible is that this is actually leads to deeper friendships. We see this in Proverbs 28, 23. You don't have to turn there for this one, but it says, one who rebukes a person will later find more favor than one who flatters with his tongue. Proverbs 27, 17, a really classic and well-known verse. It says, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. That's what good friendship looks like. It's willingness to say something hard in order to sharpen the other person. That doesn't mean you have to be mean or rude. It simply means that you're willing to be candid with the person. In other words, we're candid, but we're also kind, that we're real with each other, but we're also relational. A good friend is willing to be rejected for the sake of your good. A good friend is honest. The third mark of a good friend is that they're trustworthy. Now, I know technically honesty and trustworthiness are kind of like synonyms. I promise you're not experiencing a deja vu moment, right? But my point is that a good friend is trustworthy. In other words, you can trust them to keep your confidence. You can share your heart with them, and you know that they aren't going to share it with somebody else. So Proverbs 16.28 speaks about this. Proverbs 16.28 It says this, a contrary person spreads conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Turn the page over one, one to Proverbs 17, 9. It says, whoever conceals an offense promotes love, 
but whoever gossips about it separates friends. The reality is that you and I, we need people in our life who you can share your heart with, unfiltered and know that they're not going to share it with somebody else, right? Because here's the thing, not everything that you think is actually what you believe. The first thoughts that come to your head are not necessarily the ones that you believe and hold to the most, and you need somebody who you can come to and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What if this is true? What if this is like actually right? And, and you know that they're not going to spread and share those things with other people. You need a friend who is trustworthy. Here's one way that I, I like to think about it. If your heart is a house, if your heart is a house, I know it's a weird metaphor, but if your heart is a house, you need the lights on with somebody in your life. If your heart is a house, you need the lights on with somebody in your life. Something we say a lot at Salt Company is that you don't have to confess to everybody, but you do need to confess to somebody. In other words, you need to be able to trust them. You need somebody in your life you can share things with, and they're not going to run around sharing it with everybody else. And a good way to know if you can trust a friend to be trustworthy is to examine the things that they share with you when you're together. So if you have a friend that tells you the dirt about everyone, you know that they're probably not a good friend to you either, right? If they show up and like, oh my goodness, you're never going to believe this. So-and-so did such and such. You're like, wait a minute. Do you do that like with my information? If they're gossiping about you, it's likely that they're gossiping about others as well. They probably aren't a good friend. Nothing separates friendship faster than gossip. It's toxic to relationships and it leads to disunity. And so be the kind of friend that someone can trust. You need a friend like that, but you also need to be a friend like that. And so when somebody comes and shares things with you, honor their trust, right? Be the kind of person that doesn't find joy and satisfaction in running around and spreading gossip, but actually is like really, really close, uh, holds that close to themselves and, and can be trusted with it. The fourth mark of a good friend is this, they're sacrificial. A friend is someone who's willing to sacrifice their comfort, their convenience for your good. I mean, just think about it. To develop a friendship that is built on faithfulness, honesty, and trustworthiness, to have a friendship like that that will be there over time, it actually takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Proverbs 17, 17 should be at the, the bottom of your page there. It says this, a, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. In other words, when hard times hit, they show up. They're faithful when things are hard. But here's the reality. To be that kind of a friend often is inconvenient. No one plans to walk through the valley. You don't put it on your calendar. You don't plan to have a hard day. You don't plan for your life to fall apart around you. And so if you're going to be the kind of friend that is there for people when that happens, it's going to be inconvenient at times. It's going to mean changing plans last minute, spending money that you didn't budget. It's going to mean going to bed later than you hope to stay up with a friend who needs to talk. But that's what friends do, right? They sacrifice for your good. Without a doubt, the clearest example of this is Jesus. And it's crazy because on the same night that he was about to be betrayed by his friends, he got down and he started serving them. Super inconvenient. Took on the, the position of a servant. And it's in that moment that he said this, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. And man, they didn't even know how true that reality was about to be, right? A good friend sacrifices. They move in when everybody moves out. A good friend will seek your good even when it costs them something. 
A good friend will embrace inconvenience in order to pursue your flourishing. So let me just challenge you with this this morning. And challenge me with this. If you and I aren't willing to inconvenience ourselves for someone else, we're probably not a good friend to that person. If you and I only stick around when things are good, it means we're not really a good friend. If you leave when things are hard, it means you're not a good friend. Why? Because a good friend is there even when it's hard, even when it's inconvenient. A good friend is willing to sacrifice. And can I just say, I've talked to Matt, and the overall culture of this room is that you embody that so well. So don't hear this this morning saying like, oh my goodness, you're all terrible at it. What I hope you hear is that these are things we want to keep pursuing. And if it's just me being honest, I hear those things, and it does two things in my heart. One, it creates longing, right? Because we all want to be a friend like that. We all want to have friendships like that, right? We want people that are going to stick around with us and, and are kind and honest and trustworthy and sacrificial. We want friends like that, but it also creates this crushing in my life, right? Because I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't live up to that standard all the time, right? Friend that's trustworthy all the time, honest all the time, like says the hard thing all the time, moves in towards awkward situations all the time, sacrifices when it's inconvenient, that's tough. I'm like nine o'clock ready to check out. So the thought of like staying up late, like talking about our feelings late into the night with a friend, like that's like a very difficult thing for me to do. I'm like, I want to be in bed. And so when I hear these four marks of friendship, it's often can feel very crushing because I'm like, I don't live up to the standard that Proverbs sets for what a good friend is like. But the beautiful truth of the gospel is that in every way that you and I fall short, Jesus was perfect. And in John chapter 15, the night before all of Jesus' friends would scatter, the night before he would be betrayed, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. And when Jesus said that, in some ways he reshaped and reframed the entire story of the Bible through friendship. Just consider for a moment, what happens when you're betrayed by a friend? Typically, you betray them back. You, you leave, right? But instead, Jesus sacrificed for the very ones who are against him. Proverbs says, blessed are the wounds of a friend, but Jesus received wounds for his friends. He lost friendship with God so that you and I could have it. And when you know that Jesus has forgiven you, loved you, and moved towards you in your brokenness, it frees you then to do the same thing for other people. And so you no longer have to feel crushed by that. You no longer have to feel burdened by that. Instead, you can look to Jesus who already did it. And out of a position of free uh, grace that he's given you and, and complete awareness that he loves you apart from your works, you can move towards other people in a way that he moved towards you. As we're closed this morning, I just want to share with you one principle that's been helpful for me as I think about friendships. The principle is this, be Jonathan, not Saul. You're like, what is that talking about? Be Jonathan, not Saul. And it's a phrase that we use a lot at Saul Company. It comes from the Old Testament, the story where David is anointed as king over Israel. And if you remember the story, there were two responses. There was Saul... Saul, who became jealous and angry at David and actually sought to kill him. It was like two separate times, I think, he threw a javelin at him. Kind of an intense moment. 
He saw David being used by God in a powerful way, and rather than honoring him and lifting him up, he actually became insecure and tried to take David out. But there was another response, and it was the response of Jonathan. And he was next in line to throne and perhaps the one who is most likely to be upset and angry towards David, but that's not how he responded. Instead, Jonathan did everything he could to actually help David succeed. He gave him his armor. He protected him from Saul. He was a good friend to David. He embodied good friendship. He was faithful, honest, trustworthy, and sacrificial. Rather than responding with insecurity, he actually moved towards David and did everything he could to help him flourish. That's what a good friend looks like. A good friend looks like Jonathan. And so this week, let's just make it our goal to be friends who are faithful, who are honest, who are trustworthy, and who are sacrificial. Let's be Jonathans towards the people that God has placed in our life, looking to build them up and make them flourish, no matter what it costs us as friends. Let's pray together, guys. Lord, you're really kind to us, and as we look at what the Bible teaches about friendship. I know for me personally, it, it can be crushing to some degree. It can be overwhelming because I realize that I fall short in this so often. Right? There's so many moments in life where I don't move towards people with kindness. I don't sacrifice for them, I go out of my way to make life as convenient for me as possible and don't look for other people's flourishing and good. And so we read things like trustworthiness and honesty and sacrificial and faithful, and it's like, wow, that's tough. And yet then we look to Jesus and we realize that when we are still his enemies, when we were still far from him, he moved towards us with those same exact things. And God, I pray that, that this week you would help us to embrace the gospel and what Jesus has done for us and from that position then move towards other with love and kindness. I pray that when we see people being lifted up and elevated that we wouldn't respond like Saul but that we'd respond like Jonathan and just honor them and, and celebrate the work that God's doing in their life. I pray that you'd give us that kind of friendships here. Lord, thank you for the friendships that are already present in this room. Thank you for the faithful presence that that Stonebridge is in Boone and for the ways that they're a, a clear and obvious example of what it looks like to be, to be godly friends. And I pray that that example would just spread throughout this entire community in a way that is powerful and that speaks really, really uh, clearly to the gospel that we want to proclaim to the world. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.